0: Hey guys, welcome. My name is Randall Goodman. I'm one of the pastors here at Northwest Hills. What's going on? How are you guys doing? Everybody okay? I know there's some, some bodies up here in the front row that you're not normally used to seeing. Don't panic. It's okay. They're trustworthy. We believe in them. Anyways, hey, um, so we're excited. We're excited about the day. We have a day just in, you know going into this evening that um, man, we just believe in tonight. So I want to encourage you guys to, to block out some time. And show up to refuel. Tell you a little bit more about that later on. Um, but before we get going, I just need to tell you up front these guys know, they've heard it plenty of times, that my wheelhouse for illustrations is incredibly small. Okay? I mean, like, here's the deal here's what's in my life. I love God, I love my kids, and I love mountain biking. Are, are you waiting for an and? My wife, I'm sorry, my family. <laughs> Who called me out? Who called me out on that one? All right, yes. I meant to say my God, my family, mountain biking. Are you waiting for an and? Man, I messed that whole thing up. It's just, it's just a deal. I'm honestly, I'm terribly just simplistic, okay? So that means uh, if you don't understand what's going on, I'm going to tell you a story about um, mountain biking. So, um, but first, before we go, um, how many of you would in the room consider yourself to be a mountain biker? You've maybe uh, been out on the trail a few times here and there, anybody? Anybody? Just Pastor Tom. Okay, got it. Okay, all right, all right. So this will, it'll come together. It's okay. You don't necessarily have to be a mountain biker, but here's the deal. If you do consider yourself to be a mountain biker, okay, there is one trail in Oregon that if you say you're a mountain biker, um, if you say you're an Oregonian, which by the way, Californians, let's talk a little bit later. I want to tell you a little bit about what it actually means to be an Oregonian. Some of you try to claim that. I might take some issue with that. Anyway, so there's one trail that you must ride if you are a mountain biker and you live in the state of Oregon, and it is the McKenzie River Trail, okay? It's a must. You have to do this. It's listed in as one of the top you know, six trails like ever, okay? So you can see why. There's some pictures from it. It's beautiful, right? It's amazing. Anybody just even hike on the McKenzie River Trail? Been on the McKenzie River? Okay, so it's about 25 miles. You start from Clear Lake. You go all the way to the bottom. You're getting about 25 miles. Now there's some parts of it that are just scenic, serene, peaceful. You're riding by this beautiful flowing river. And then there's some other parts that are pretty treacherous. Okay. There's a lot of exposure at certain parts where if you fall, you're falling straight into the river, okay? There's definitely some um, really technical parts that you're going through these lava fields. That lava rock is just waiting, it's poised, it's ready to not only rip your tires in half, but shred your flesh. And so when you get prepared to ride the McKinsey River Trail, you better be ready, right? You better have spent some time riding a bike, you better um, know that you can do 25 miles, okay? So it's important. It's of utmost importance that when you enter into a situation like that, you're completely prepared. So let me tell you a story of about a little over a decade ago. Um, the thing with the McKinsey, too, I'll write it and then I'll swear and vow that I'll never write it again. And then I always write it again. Last time I wrote it was like this October, I wrote it in the rain, and it was um, just amazing. So this is about a, 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 over a decade ago, I decided to write it. Um, so here's the deal I'm, I'm the part time transit. Volunteer youth pastor here at Northwest Hills. Okay, I know. Yeah, so um, that basically the key component to that is that I'm a volunteer, so I'm working managing a bike shop in Salem. Okay, so let's try the McKenzie River Trail. Okay, let's do it. So I call up my friend, I'm gonna call him glogan today because i don't want to give his name away all right i want this to be kind of you know confidential here so i call him up hey we're gonna ride the mckinsey Trail. you want to ride yes he's at multnomah bible college at the time so he's super pumped he's ready to go so he's in bible college which means he has not touched his bike in the longest time he's up in portland right but he's he's ready to go so i invite a guy that works at the shop and then another guy that comes into the shop all the time okay so this is in salem so we're ready to go so we got um glogan figure out his name. Um, The other guy is this guy that we affectionately called Tweaker Mike. Okay, so Tweaker Mike, he's, now he doesn't work at the shop. He's just one of the guys that comes into the shop. Um, And then we've got this other kid named Monty. That's his nickname. I affectionately started calling him Montalica. So we've got Glogan. His real name's Logan. Um, We've got Tweaker Mike, and then we've got Montalica. So the plan is we'll meet those guys up at the trailhead. I'm going to meet Logan in all, uh, Lebanon, and he's driving down from Portland. So we plan to meet there. We're sitting in, I'm sitting there. I'm in the Walmart um, parking lot waiting for him. He's late already. What's going on, right? So um, he shows up, and I take a look at him, and I'm like, dude, what? You look absolutely wrecked. What you, Did you even sleep last night? And He's like, no. You see, what had happened is he had just um, recently met the love of his life. So like all good um, Bible college kids do, you spend all night talking on the phone, right? So he's literally, literally like, I hung up the phone, I threw all of my bike stuff in the car and um, just drove down here. And I'm like, this is 25. When's the last time you were on your bike? He's like, it's been a while. And I'm like, and so you got no sleep. I go, Did you bring any food? Did you have, are you prepared at all? No. I'm like, oh man. All right, well, let's go. So we go up. (laughs) I'm riding the trail. That's how it is, right? If you're, if you're a biker, you know, like that's what goes on. And I've got some food with me. I'm prepared. I'm ready to go. So we get up to the trailhead, five miles in, five miles into a 25 mile ride. Um, We hadn't even reached the tough spot yet. Guess what? He's done. He's totally bonked. He has no energy left. He's got no resources to tap from. He hadn't brought any food. He's totally drained and empty, which would make sense, right? Of course, he was completely unprepared, completely disconnected from his bike. He hadn't experienced riding a bike for so long. So I'm like feeding him like little, you know, energy things here and there going like, we got to finish, you know, we got to keep going. There's no turnaround now. So, um, so he's, I'm just like trying to nourish him back to life basically here and he's drained and he's completely empty, Right. So we get about to the halfway point-ish, so maybe, maybe 12 miles or so um, to go, and we stop for lunch. And um, I'm pulling out, like, I got energy bars, I got banana and apple, and I'm giving them, you know, to Logan, eating myself, whatever. And then um, Tweaker Mike sits down. And Tweaker Mike is like, oh, I'm so ready for lunch, man. I'm so hungry, right? So just let me pause and explain this. If you know Corvallis, you've at least seen mountain bikers in Corvallis. And mountain bikers in Corvallis, right, they're all about fitness They're all about, you know, how fast they can climb to the top of the hill. They're about spandex, right? Um, These guys are Salem mountain bikers. It's a different breed up there. So you got to know that up front, right? We're talking jeans, flannel shirts, right? We're just saying like this is, okay, so, so Tweaker Mike's just saying, so, so ready for lunch, man. We're like, all right. He pulls out, I'm thinking like he's going to have some power bar. Nope. He pulls out the bomb burrito it's still half frozen. Okay. He got it at Seven Eleven the day before he stuck it into his mountain biking backpack and just let it just left it. Right. And I'm going, that's what you're going to eat. It's it's still half frozen. It's going to be so good. I'm so excited. I'm like, all right, buddy. And he just starts unwrapping it. And I'm like, you know, and we're all, and then the other part is like, you need nourishment and food. Right. And then of course, like you need to stay hydrated right? So most common like you know source of hydration on a mountain bike ride would be water. It's the best bet. It's going to rehydrate. Maybe something that has aid at the end of it, power gator or some otherwise type of aid thing. So that's not what Tweaker Mike has um, for his refreshment. He pulls out um, a tall boy and it sounded a lot more like limpia or ams is what it sounded like okay yeah and, and and of course he bought it the same time that he bought the bomb burrito and it's been sitting in his backpack so he's got like a half frozen huge burrito and then a very warm substance that I don't think I'm supposed... To. It gets worse. Hold on. It gets worse than this. Not for Tweaker Mike, but for Montalica. So I'm just like, okay, whatever. I guess if that's what you want to replenish yourself with, right? So then Mon- it comes to Montalica. He doesn't even have a backpack. He's got nothing, right? He's got no, nothing. What he chooses to fill himself up with, and this is... Oh, I've got to be... This is dicey. Um, let's... let If you get it, you get it. Let me just say... Um, if President Clinton didn't, Montalica did. And you know what I'm talking about if you know what I'm talking about, okay? So this is what this guy chooses to fuel himself for this 25 mountain, you know. And this kid, he's just going cross-eyed on this thing. We're just like, what is happening right now? Me and this is a Bible college kid. I'm the part-time transitional volunteer youth pastor at this church and guys drinking beer and, you know, whatever. So, but that's the ride. And, and, and here's the deal. Now, if it was any of us, you know, and if that's what we chose to, like, nourish ourselves on this ride, it would be a disaster. We wouldn't finish the ride. I would love to tell you, this is where the story totally breaks down for me, I'd love to tell you that these guys, you know, were just, they bonked, they couldn't finish, but again, their Salem, like, that actually somehow strangely nourished them, and they, like, were the first ones down the trail. So the story kind of breaks down, but just, you have to put yourself, if that's what you chose to fill yourself up with on a 25-mile mountain bike ride, you know it would not be good. Okay. So what does this have to do with today? I think it raises a couple very important questions as we move ahead, which is this, why are you empty? And what are you full of? Why are you empty? And what are you full of? You see, here's the simple truth. Many of us walk into the room and although maybe, maybe we wouldn't admit it, maybe we wouldn't say it outright, but we feel Very, very empty today. And we feel drained. And we feel disconnected. And we feel distant. You see, spiritual emptiness sometimes seems to be what describes us and defines us. Although we struggle to admit it. And I don't know where you would put yourself today. I know that there are some people who walked in today broken Disconnected and empty. And you know it, and you know it's you because the words that we just sang, well, they were just words, weren't they? And the prayers that we just prayed, they just felt like meaningless, empty requests. Maybe you've come out of a tradition or some routine or a culture where it's easy to fake fullness. Like you can put on the show, but spiritually you're drained and you're empty. And so many of us, I mean too many of us, we know what emptiness looks like. And maybe you're heading in that direction right now. You can see it coming. You're one bad choice away. You're one relationship away. Whatever it is, you're on the verge of emptiness. Some of us are in denial. We are, but we don't want to say we are. Some of us today, maybe we're completely full. But I don't know a lot of people that go through life every single day saying, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm just hitting it perfectly today. Most of us walk through life, and we kind of fake this whole appearance of being full and spiritually full and, and connected. And as a Christ follower, here's what I'll tell you. Emptiness, being drained, being disconnected, being spiritually empty— That's a horrible condition. It's a terrible place to be. It puts you in jeopardy. And I'll admit, I know, it's shocking, but I'll admit, I've been there. I've been spiritually empty before and I hate it. It's like internally the lights just go off and you're drained of your passion and you have no sense of joy and your peace feels like it's completely gone. And I'm very aware of this in my own life because I can tell you, when I'm spiritually empty, my whole life just begins to sputter. I become spiritually shallow. It begins to affect every area of my life. And, and here's just a few things that I notice about myself. See if these things sound familiar to you. When I'm spiritually empty, I'm way more selfish. I'm impatient. I get easily frustrated. I become fragmented. I lack compassion for people who are hurting. When I'm, when I'm spiritually empty, I'm way more vulnerable to temptation I'm short with people, I'm cynical, I'm insecure, I'm judgmental. I find it difficult to make good decisions. And of course, I feel disconnected and distant from God. You guys want to hang out with me when I'm spiritually empty? No. We know that that's a horrible place to be. Now, what about you? I mean, you don't need to write it down. You don't need to raise your hand right now. But I would love for you to just step back and evaluate, how am I right now? What does my life look like? Would I describe, would I define my existence right now as completely connected, completely full? Or would I say, yeah, no, I experience these moments of emptiness and aloneness, feeling disconnected and distant from God. And I'll tell you the truth. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, so I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone in this. I mean, I've talked with so many students, and I've talked with so many adults, and I know that I'm not alone in this spiritual emptiness thing. Am I? I mean, who here would be willing to just admit that they deal with bouts of dryness and emptiness at times, and 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 everyone not admitting that they struggle with bouts of emptiness? I'm assuming you Strout's, or you you, uh, you struggle with with uh, bouts of, of lying, right? Because you're not admitting it. And the great thing about about people who will stand up and admit that they struggle with emptiness is that usually that comes from a desire. That comes from a, a desire to be filled with passion, to be spiritually full. They want something deeper and richer and more meaningful. They know that they're missing out on something. They know that they're lacking something in this relationship with God. But of course, emptiness seems to describe and define them. And so when somebody feels safe enough with me to to sit down and, and tell me that they feel spiritually empty, I try to do this. I try to ask this question. And I think it's a fair question. I think it's a simple question. I've had these conversations before. But if you and I were to go to lunch today and just sit down and you were to say, man, I feel so disconnected and so distant and so empty, here's what I try to do. I try to say, what do you think needs to happen I'm trying to get out of the habit of saying, what do you think you need to do? So I say, what, what needs to happen? Versus what do you think you need to do? Although most of us, we just instantly click into like, well, well what do I need to do? Like, like I, I know, like I, I probably should read my Bible more. Like, I'm just not in the word enough. I I need to do this. I need to to get up early so I can spend more time with Jesus. I I need to pray more. I should probably write some Bible verses down. I need to meditate more. I need to do all this kind of stuff. And if I can do all of that, then I won't be empty. Now, if that describes you, if that's your response to spiritual emptiness, here's the deal. If that's not connected to anything, if you haven't answered the question of what you're full of yet then that can just be a recipe for guilt and failure. Because being a follower of Jesus is not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done for you. It's about experiencing the love and the life of Jesus in your life. So where do we get this idea that being a follower of Jesus is all about these checklists or these goals to accomplish, all these different things that we need to do? You know where that pressure comes from? comes from people like me it comes from pastors and teachers and writers and thinkers a lot of times and all we're simply doing is we're simply just relaying the information that we were taught by other people it's what you do you do these things so when i dig into the archives of my life and i think about when i first came to faith and i look at the people who taught me it's all activity oriented randall you just you got to pray because jesus prayed And you need to read the Bible because Jesus read the Bible. Not only did he read the Bible, he had the entire Old Testament memorized. And there's another thing you need to be doing. You need to memorize scripture because Jesus memorized. Jesus performed miracles. He witnessed to the multitudes. He rode a donkey. Do I need to ride a donkey now? He cast (laughs) demons into pigs. There's more livestock situations there. He fasted for 40 days. So here's what you got to do. You got to pray. You got to memorize. You got to read. You got to ride. You got to fast. And since there's like one verse out of 31,000 verses in the Bible that said that Jesus withdrew to a quiet place, well, I better have a quiet time because that's what Jesus did. And here's this verse in Mark that said that he did it early in the morning. So now I've got to get up early in the morning and I've got to be quiet. And there's another verse that said that he went up onto the top of the mountain. So now I got to get up early. I got to go to a quiet place. It's got to be on the top of Mary's peak. And it's just like, boom right checklists are developed and obligations are birth but i can tell you when god walked on this earth as jesus he invited people for their lives to be aligned to his life his words were very invitational not obligational he said come to me he said be with me he said follow me he said abide in me Live in me. I think we've taken the invitation of Jesus and we've complicated it with a task list and a task to to check off rather than a relationship to be enjoyed and to savor. And the problem with this is that spiritual fullness, then it becomes just another task. If we're gonna get there, we gotta do all these things to try to accomplish the task. And let's just face it, take a look around. You're doers. We live in a community of doers. And we, we come to a church filled with doers. And so when I say do, we click right into it. When I say, what needs to happen? What do you need to experience? Mm, I need to experience doing. No. I just step back from that. So here's the deal. I think in order to answer the why. Like why are you empty? disconnected. I think about my friend, like just disconnected. Hadn't, hadn't ridden his bike for, for like years, right? Wasn't experiencing this. If you're a mountain bike, you're cool with this. I haven't experienced that relationship with like the bicycle, right? And so he's just disconnected from it. He's just distant. He doesn't, he doesn't know what that's like. And so here's the deal. I think in order to answer the question of why you're empty or how you're empty, you've got to start with what are you full of? What are you full of? Most of you are like, well, I went to the Peacock this morning and had the $2 breakfast. I'm full of pancakes. That's not what we're talking about. But what are you full of? If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians 3. And I want to read a passage from you from Ephesians 3. We're going to look at like verses 16 through 21. Let me give you just a brief, short context for what is happening here. So this is the Apostle Paul. And this is a letter that he is writing to the church in Ephesus, okay, and, and here's really the most important thing that you guys need to know. Paul is, if you, if you read it, Paul's like, I've heard of you guys. He starts off, right, um, in the first couple chapters. He's like, you know what, I'm hearing about you guys. I'm hearing things about your church. And he's saying, like, you guys are killing it right now. As the church, as the movement of Jesus, man, you are moving. You are moving and people are getting saved and you're praising God and you're, you're just functioning as the church in the way that Jesus intended. The movement of Jesus in your city is flourishing and nothing can beat it down. You're loving God, you're loving people. Paul is saying, I'm hearing great things about you. And yet Paul knew, just like I know, that any of us, at any moment, we could begin that downward spiral of feeling disconnected and distant from God, drained of our joy and our peace, feeling alone and empty. And then he says this, Right, So he, he delivers these very encouraging words because he knows that although they're killing it, they're doing all the right things that the church is supposed to do. He knows that any of them at any given time could end up having their lives described and defined by emptiness. So he prays this very special prayer over them. It's amazing, right? So we'll pick it up in verse 16. He says, by the way, if you look at what happens right before this, like this is Paul. He's on, he says, I'm on my knees. I'm on my knees praying For you guys, praying for this church which is just so powerful. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through a spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know That's a powerful prayer. What if that was your prayer? What if that was your prayer for your life? What, is that, what if that was your prayer for our community here? What if you knew that somebody was on their knees praying that over you right now? So let's go back. Let's we'll Go back to verse 16 real quick. And I'm just gonna kind of tell you just, just real quick. Here's what he's doing. He's saying, all that God is, all that God is will give you strength. That you will have power through his spirit that lives inside of you. God's spirit within you. He's saying that in your inner being as a Christ follower, you have the presence of God. How many of you woke up this morning and acknowledged that you have the power and the presence of the living God inside of you? That's so amazing. It's so huge. You have the presence of God. You have the presence of God in your inner being. And with his presence always comes his power. You got his presence. You got his power. And then in verse 17, check out these verbs. There's there's rooted, there's established. You're rooted and you're established in him. Those are all words that are saying that his presence resides in your life. It takes hold in your life it's at home in your life the spirit of god is setting up shop in you man that's an amazing truth verse 18 it talks about this incredible love to understand how wide and long and high and deep it is this is big love it's love that can't be contained by our finite thinking i mean in our humanness we can't understand or grasp all of this Because we're talking about God of creation, love. We're talking about God of sustaining, love. We're talking about God of redemption, love. God of restoration, love. We're talking about God that intercedes, that come down and exchanges all of your sin for all of his righteousness, going to a cross, raising from the grave kind of love. Is that deep? Deep? Is that wide? Is that unfathomable kind of love? Is that kind of love that's accessible, that you feel in your life through the power of his spirit residing inside of you. And then verse 19, if you have your Bibles open, if you have a pen, circle the word filled. Because that word filled, that you would be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That word actually means being kept full. So if you imagine in your mind, you know, one of those fountains that just kind of just keeps recycling water. It never runs out. You're like, how does that happen? Like some of us look at it. I'm like, I'm stumped by it. I'm like, where's the water coming from? It's not connected to anything. Right. Just that kind of like constant, like it doesn't run out. That kind of being kept full. Now, why is this important? Hey, church, you're doing awesome. I'm hearing amazing things about you. And just be filled just remember that you're filled. Just know that you're filled. Could you just acknowledge the fact that you're filled? Because if you don't, and I just think about what happens later on. Think about John and, and what the angel tells him to write to the church in Ephesus. Man, hey, you guys are doing all the right things. Killing it. But do you think maybe, you think somehow that you've become disconnected? that you've become distant, that you have forgot that you're filled, that maybe you've just fallen and lost and forgot your first love. And so for a group of people that are doing all the right things to go like, but some of you are walking around and you don't know what you're full of. And Paul just constantly reminds and encourages them to to think about what they're full of. Think about later on, just in Ephesians, right? He's like, hey, just, just as a side note, like don't don't, don't waste your time getting drunk on wine. I mean, I know that when you do, like maybe you feel like a little bit more free, a little bit more uninhibited. Maybe you even feel like you've connected yourself to like who you really are a little bit more, right? Maybe you feel full and you feel all right. But, but don't waste your time with that because you're filled with the spirit of God. And you wanna talk about being uninhibited. You wanna talk about being connected to who you really are. You wanna talk about being full of something. You're full of the Holy Spirit of God. And so he's constantly reminding them, like, don't don't fill yourself up with other things. You don't need to. You don't need to look anywhere else because you're full with the fullness of the full measure of God. And then verse 20, and this is the mind blower. It's saying that more than you can ever dream of, I mean, your biggest dream that you know that you could never accomplish in your life if it was up to you, the God that you're filled with can. Can. More than you can ever ask. I mean, think about the thing that you're just like, oh, I can't, it's like too much. Like think about when you're like making out your registry for getting married, right? Those of us that have done that and you're like at Target and you're like, well, I want the big TV, but nobody will ever give it to me. So you don't ask for it. This is like, like, no, like ask for it. More than you can even ever think about asking for or about in your life, this God is capable of. And it's not just any God. It's not just some generic man-made God. It's creator God. It's God that took human form. It's the God that gave us his Holy Spirit to indwell inside of you. You see, this concept of spiritual fullness is available to you. And it's available to me. I mean, I'm a sinner. I'm goofy. I'm selfish. I'm broken at times. I'm disconnected. I'm distant. But the spirit of God is inside of me and available to me. And then he ends that prayer. And it's kind of like this. You read verse 21. And after you read it, I just imagine like the crowds cheering. In my mind right now, when I read this, I'm going to imagine you guys going like, oh, yeah, right? Don't feel like you have to. But just go, just like going wild, right? It's talking about this. It says, to him be glory in the church. I mean, when was your prayer that God would be glorified in your church? That God would raise up, that beyond any other name, it would be about the name of God. It would be about his name that is glorified, right? And it's just such a powerful prayer. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'll do it for you, okay? So the Apostle Paul. He's praying that this church, that these people, that these believers would be filled with God's spirit. The same prayer that we have for you, the same prayer that I have for myself, the same prayer that I have for this church is that we would be filled to the fullness of all the measure of who God is, that we would be filled with his spirit, that he would be glorified in and through us. So here's the million-dollar question. If according to God's word, if you and I can be full, and we are full, if you've said yes to Jesus, you've stepped across the line of faith, and you're full, never-ending kind of full, like totally full of the prevailing power and presence of God kind of full, then why is it at times the spiritual emptiness so describe and define you? I mean, why is it that most of us can raise our hands and say that, yeah, we battle with bouts of emptiness? If fullness is available to us, why is it that we can be so spiritually empty? Uh, let me just make a few quick observations, a few quick suggestions. See, I think fullness gives way to emptiness in a person's life when when we don't first and foremost recognize and know what we're full of. What are you full of? And then we treat Jesus as an obligation to meet or a task to accomplish. So many of us may have spent our entire Christ life following Jesus, like our life just following after him, feeling like a spiritual failure at times because we can't do what other people describe that they do. I mean, I know for me, like I always have a strategy, right? And it's a goofy strategy for me, right? Because the people that formed me spiritually when I was a new believer, right? This is who they were. I mean, for the longest time, I thought the most spiritual people, they all get up early, right? That's just what they do. The Lord wakes them up. And they're like, hello, good morning, God. And they're just, they're just whistling around. There's hummingbirds flying around their head. Other forest creatures are gathering around singing songs with them. And they just like skip through their day. Cause they're like, that's what spiritual people do. They skip, they smile, they wake up, you know, peppy and, and perky and they, they say, good morning, God. Well, I'm not a morning person. Anyone else in here not a morning person? All right. And you know what I'm talking about, right? If you're not a morning person, you don't wake up and go, Good morning, God. You go, oh, God, it's morning. <laughs> oh, man. Why did it come again? I mean, God, I'm saying good God that you created morning, but why is it here? I don't even talk in the morning. I just walk around speaking Wookiee to my kids. I, I don't know, right? I can't. I don't function, Right. And it's like, I just, like, just get up. I drag myself out of bed. It's like total obligation. Okay, God, I'm like, I'm, I guess I'm ready to be full, God. And I thought, you know, like, like Jesus, I mean, in my mind, like Jesus is like waiting, you know, he's got some tea and crumpets there. And if I miss that morning appointment with him, I mean, he's gonna be so disappointed in me. I'm like a lazy Christian. And, and of course, when you do that, that always leaves you feeling like a failure, right? I, I didn't meet the task. I didn't do the deal. Or the other thing I could never pull off is, is this. Like when it comes to a new year, I read my Bible in a year, right? How many of us have made that claim? I read my Bible in a year. I got This year, I got it. I'm going to nail it. It's going to happen, right? So here's how it works. You have to read like three or four chapters a day, every day for like 365 days a year. It's like, oh, I'm going to do it. Oh, right. You're just all like super tooled into it. A show of hands. How many of you have tried and failed to read the Bible? Read the Bible. Okay, awesome. Thank you for your honesty. Some of you lied a little bit earlier. I mean, it's like January 1, it rolls around. You're like, Genesis, I love Genesis. It's such a good story, right? I love it. So many, like for for most of us, like Genesis is the book that we've read the most in the Bible, right? (laughs) Right, And, and like you should have it memorized by now. Because it's like January 1 through 7, like you're cranking along, you're just nailing it. But by February 4th, you're like 167 chapters behind. You've got to read the whole book of Leviticus in one sitting. But, you know, and so you sit down, you're like, by the fourth animal sacrifice on the fifth hill and the ninth priestly, I'm just going to become a vegetarian at this point. This is just so, right? And you're just done. And you just try strategy after strategy, and each time you're hoping something is going to be different for me this time. But, but they all feel like strategies, don't they? Strategies of obligation. And, and, and so often they're just not natural. So check this out. I was reading about Jesus, and I was just starting to realize that Jesus, when he would intersect with people, when, when people would meet Jesus, it was often very brief. It was often these small like flashpoint kind of moments. And he would always leave them. I mean, it was quick, but he would always leave them with hope or healing or restoration or challenge. But he would always leave them. They would always walk away feeling filled up, feeling full. And the thing about them is that they were such brief connections but they brought about significant life change. I can give you like a dozen. I'll just rattle off a few here. Matthew 5. Jesus simply touches the hand of Peter's mother-in-law and she's healed. I think she probably walked away pretty changed. Matthew 9. Jesus says seven words, take heart, your son or take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. A paralyzed man walks in. Matthew 9. A Jesus or a woman just, just touches Jesus' coat. He says, "Daughter, your faith has made you well. Luke 6 says everyone was just trying to, to touch Jesus. They weren't trying to sit down and have this thing. They were just like, I want to touch Jesus. John 5 says this guy has been sick for like 38 years, and he asked this very simple question. Jesus said, you want to get well? And the guy's like, yeah. And his life was changed. Everything was so brief and yet so filling. And I began to think, what, what, if, what if spiritual fullness wasn't limited to like that one time? What if it wasn't about the appointment? What if it wasn't like, okay, i gotta, I got to like, you know, do everything. i got to feed myself. i got to get to work. i got to get the kids dressed. I gotta, and then somehow i got to squeeze in this spiritual feeding. And it was just this obligation, like this quiet time that I have to do in the morning on the mountain, that I feel more obligated to do than anything else. What if this concept of walking with Jesus was actually literal? that I could actually experience the power and the presence of Jesus, not only in the morning, but through the rest of my day? What if I could just walk with him, abide in him? What if I just became more aware throughout my day that God's spirit is actually residing inside of me? So I'm trying to get the parking spot at Winco. Super like, ooh. Oh wait, the spirit of God is inside of me. That God's spirit is available in me, like Paul tells the Ephesians. That God is not just this distant deity that I have to schedule an appointment with, but he's actually here. He's present in my life. John 14, 16, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper and that helper will be with you forever. So what if? What if spiritual fullness began simply with spiritual awareness, awareness of the presence of God. What if you and I began to do what Brother Lawrence said in the 1600s, that we would live in the presence of God, that we would practice the presence of God. And I think that what if, that huge what if, it could change everything for you. It could change everything about how you live your life. So the very simple challenge for today, stop doing Start being and stop thinking so big. Stop thinking about all these big things that that I got to do. We're doers. We love to do. Because to be spiritually full doesn't mean that you just have to do the one big thing, the one big spiritual feeding in the morning that you simply check off so that you can go about the rest of your day. And, And don't get me wrong. If you have something that you do, something that's a routine or a habit, not a ritual but a routine, and it doesn't lead to guilt and it doesn't lead to failure, but it leads to intimacy and vibrancy and deepness and it connects you to God's heart in a very real and natural way, by all means, keep doing that. Just know that honestly, you're probably in the minority. It probably works for you too because before you even do that, before whatever it is, before you open the devotional, before whatever, you probably just go like, you know what? I've got the power of the living God inside of me. His spirit resides inside of me. Now let me open up his word and have it be revealed to me. But for most of us, now we struggle along. And since that doesn't really work for most of us, what if we just switch gears? What if we started engaging with Jesus throughout our day, our week? What if spiritual nourishment and fulfillment comes through grazing and, and not gorging Like you're just like kind of nibbling all day long. You have these small moments with the Savior. Because with Jesus, small is very big. Jesus has a rich history of using the small, of blessing the small, of honoring the small. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said, he replied, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So what if what Jesus is saying is, hey, small? And small actually becomes terribly significant. I think that for so many of us in here, that we try to do. We approach it from do. Not what needs to happen. Not just being. It's about It's about doing. And so guilt and shame about not accomplishing the goal, feeling like a failure, that is what defined our spiritual experience, failure, frustration. It's because we've been so busy doing, we haven't spent time being, just jumping from Bible study to Bible study to service opportunity to mission trip, back to Bible study. And in the busyness of our faith, we miss the still, small voice of Jesus whispering, just just come to me and just be with me. I mean, Jesus gave two invitations. He said, follow me. And then he said, abide in me, live in me, be with me. Think about those small moments with your savior. How many of you um, parents, for you parents, um, texting is an issue. And I'm talking about, it's okay that they're in the front row. Texting is an issue for you with your children. Like, right? why are you always texting? What are you doing texting? Who are you texting? Why are you costing me so much money texting, right? For these guys, who are like, what are you talking about? It's awesome, right? Now, texting has kind of a bad reputation. I found a, a statistic here, and they, they kind of vary. I went with the one that uh, makes it seem like the most shocking, like the biggest one. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, there's like speculation is that like close to like the average teenager sends close to like 4,000 texts a month right? So that's that's quite a bit. You could start doing some math there. You think about it. And we all like, oh, it's such a waste of time. It's so like, you know, it's disconnecting you from humanity, your heart and your soul is getting ripped out. But think about this. If you are an adult and you text, right? And you start thinking about like, man, like I can just, I can text um, my wife, my kids, my mountain bike. I don't know, whatever you want to text, right? (laughs) At any time, I just be like, hey, just thinking about you guys, you know, and just think about how much more you actually can be connected through all those small, just little moments of conversation. Whereas back in the day when I was growing up, right? And it was like, you want to call somebody? You had to pick up this huge phone with like a. And you're like, I grew up in the 80s. There were still rotaries. And you're like, it's so heavy and so long. And like, what if you missed the number? And you're just, you never called anybody, right? But now we have this little device that we're like, hey man, hey Paris, just how's your day? Right? Just think about those moments with God. I right? just think about how much those moments could define your existence. If you're just like, OMG. And he's like, Yep. Like, that's a legitimate time. You can be like, OMG. He's like, what? Right? You're like, LOL. I don't, I don't text like that. I don't do any of those little abbreviations. I try to write the longest text possible to these kids. Like, write full paragraphs to them. But just think about those little moments that so you can just be like, hey, God. and I was looking at, like, a bird today. It's not a bird. It's not like, how beautiful. How beautiful you are that you created that bird. And just think about how much more connected you could be to God throughout your day and just those small moments So what I'm saying is you you can be spiritually full by these little connections throughout your day and they can provide intimacy. They can provide transformation. It's this like spiritual kind of grazing where, where where you're just talking to Jesus all day. You're not just like, I did it. It's in the morning and I'm done, right? You're commenting to him. You're thinking about him. You're praising him. Maybe you're even talking out loud to him. It's okay, go for it. Everybody else will think you're weird, but that's all right. You're relying on him. So what I'm not saying is that your entire spiritual life should be about small, bite-sized chunks. I mean, there are times when a deep faith needs to sit down and have a deep, meaningful time of study and reflection. There are times when you need to think a little bit deeper about what God is saying through his word to you. There are times when you need to feast on a five-course meal that takes a lot of time and energy and effort. But I also believe in your everyday life with all of my heart that spiritual fullness will come when you're aware of what you're full of and you'll live in those small moments and acknowledge and, and you're like, yeah, no, no, the spirit of God is in me, living inside of me. That, that that's being spiritually full is, is so much less about time and tasks. So much more about desire and, and awareness. And yes, Sometimes my soul needs more. Sometimes it just needs the small. So there's an invitation on the table today. I mean today, for you to step back and ask yourself the question, why am I empty? Well, I better not even begin to address that before I acknowledge, what am I full of? And if you've said yes to Jesus, the simple truth is you're filled with His Spirit. You're filled with His power and His presence. You're actually constantly connected to the Father through Jesus, and the empowering of His Spirit. You're actually not empty. You actually can't be empty. And the truth is, if you've said yes to Jesus, man, there's no room for anything else because you're full with the living God's power and presence. You can't actually squeeze anything. There's no bomb burritos in there. There's just no room for that. You actually have his power and presence available to you. So I know, I admit, and I acknowledge that a lot of us have walked in here today broken, disconnected, distant, feeling very, very empty. And there's an invitation today not to do more, but an invitation to live a life that is aware that his spirit resides inside of you, being empowered by his glorious resources. It's an invitation to experience the love and life of Jesus and to allow the spirit of God to set up shop in you. What if your prayer is God? Make me aware. Not fill me, because if i said yes, you've already filled me. But just make me aware that I am full to the full measure of the fullness of God. So we want to provide you guys an opportunity here to respond. As God revealed, then we respond. So my encouragement here as we move into this next few moments together is just make that your prayer. And, and let me say this, another key part Of being disconnected is is sometimes we're disconnected from each other. Sometimes, man, it's enough to show up and be connected to somebody else that's living out of this deep truth. And we have an opportunity tonight to come out. And more than anything, I mean, yeah, we're gonna we kind of walk this little fine line with the cheesiness of you know saying refuel, like, oh, you're filling your body full of spaghetti, right? So come for the meal and you'll you'll get filled up, right? It's gonna be good. But but come for the worship too. And, And sometimes it's just enough. to to be connected to people who are living out of that awareness. And so we need each other. And we need each other to come together tonight and worship and respond to what God is doing in and through us and how he's revealing that very deep truth that we are already full. So my encouragement to you is to come out tonight, to come out tonight and worship as a community of people, to acknowledge the fact that we're already full the power of the living God He's present with us let me pray father we thank you for today we thank you for the deep truth of your word that Paul writes in this letter to the people in Ephesus just as a reminder and just as a prayer that they would know and acknowledge and live out of the fact that if they are Christ followers your spirit resides inside of them and although there's times that they might feel disconnected They might feel distant from you. The path back to you is never about obligations or tasks. It's about simply stepping back and saying, God, would you make me so wholly aware today that your spirit lives inside of me? May I tap into that that spirit that lives in me, God. Would you restore me? God, would you refuel me? Would you give me hope and peace and joy today that I'm connected to creator God? In your name we pray. Amen.